good to be in the Lord's house with God's people, and it's good to have people watching us online for whatever reason. They might be completely outside of the country, which we had a report for December, a lot of people out of the country, out of the state, watching us and watching what we're doing as we come and worship God. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be studying all 47 verses of chapter 2, and when I first send that to Joel, the question was, Acts 2, verse 1 through 47, question mark? I see, yeah, yeah we'll hit the highlights. Uh, we won't be getting out here at 1 o'clock, because um, if we do, I know somebody's going to text me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't do that to myself. But, um, but what I'd like to do is just, if you would turn to Acts 2, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 4. If you, so if you want to stand for the reading of verse 1 through 4, and then I will have prayer, and then we can be seated and continue. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, title of the message, The Spirit Births God's Church. Verse 1, and, 1 through 4, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided or diverse tongues as of fire, and one sat, that is a flame of fire, sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as we come to this wonderful story of the birth of the New Testament church, going from disciples to, to being a church where they're going to worship together and order themselves, and develop as a church, and grow as a church, and, and even walk through persecution as a church. Father, as we look to Acts chapter 2, may we look at this as a one-time event. It's only birthed once, but yet individuals are continually, by your grace, birthed into your family, one by one. So, Father, we thank you for the idea and that concept of birthing us, spiritually into your family we thank you for that concept that even jesus spoke of to be born again so father just help us today may your word go forward and do what you want to accomplish it help me to be clear with what i've seen and we'll trust you father for the results and we ask this in jesus name amen you may be seated when we were last in the book of acts uh they were in that one place. They had gone to Jerusalem where Jesus said, go back and, and wait for the promise to come. That's what they were doing. They were praying. Uh, the, the, apostle, or the apostles and Mary and different ones, they were all praying. And as they began to pray, Peter perhaps was pondering some scripture. Maybe these scriptures have always kind of been on the back of his mind. And he, he realized that, that according to the scripture that Judas was the one that was going to betray. He was... A, he had failed Christ, and he needed to be replaced. And so Peter shared that with the group there that was there praying and waiting for the promise. And during that time, as he shared the scripture, 
and led those people. He led them to a place to where they, they presented two men that qualified for apostles that had walked and talked with Jesus and saw his resurrection and saw his ascension. And, he, and, and therefore that group of people presented two people and they cast lots and Matthias was chosen out of those lots to be the one that would replace Judas Iscariot. And when they did that, they just continued to pray. And now we step into this story where they've established that. They've established replacing Judas. And now they're in that one place in one accord again in one mind, one focus. And that is waiting for God's power to fall that they might be witnesses in Samaria, Judea, out of most parts of the world. And so as they wait, all of a sudden we're gonna, we saw in our story suddenly the Spirit fell, and the Spirit filled them and indwelt them, and they began to speak in languages that they did not know, but we're going to see in the text, but those that were hearing these languages knew that language. They were speaking a language they didn't know to those that needed to hear. And on this particular day, it was the day of Pentecost, and it was a time in, in Jerusalem where people from all over the world would come for this particular festival. And so what we're going to see here is that God in his timing, God in his way, made sure that when the church was birthed, a lot of people heard the gospel. It's just kind of interesting. Now one thing you'll notice as we walk through the book of, of, uh, the book of Acts is that every time the gospel is preached, just like in the gospels, there's only two responses. Either they receive the gospel or they reject the gospel. Either there's revival or there's riot. And you know what? It should be no different today. Because Paul said to the Jew, uh, the, the cross or the gospel is a stumbling block. And to, the, and to the Gentile, it's foolishness. And that's why Paul says that's why God chose the foolishness of preaching. So that when people do get saved, we're just explaining the gospel. When they do get saved, we can blame nobody but God. And Paul even told the Corinthians, he said, some of y'all are squabbling over being under Apollos' ministry and, and my ministry. He says, look, it doesn't really matter. He said, some water, some plant seeds, some water, but it's God that gives the increase. And so here in this story, God is choosing a particular time of history at this day of Pentecost, I believe on purpose. So that when the gospel is preached and the church is born, is birthed, it spreads real fast. Because these people that are here in Jerusalem, maybe from Egypt or some other country or land, when they get saved, they're going to go back home to Egypt or where they're from and share what happened. It's going to spread the gospel real fast. And that's what God meant when Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea and the uttermost parts of the world on that day they were and of course we continue that don't we and so on that day God chose that day so I'd like you to look at verse 1 through 4 with me again and what I'd like to look at there is the spirit the spirit is manifesting the spirit is manifesting look at verse 1 through 4 with me again Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were, all, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them diverse or divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. On this day of Pentecost, in this time of the church history, they didn't have the full revelation of God like we did, right? They couldn't go down to Walmart and buy a King James Version or an NIV. They couldn't just drive over to Mardell's or order something online off Amazon and get a, an inexpensive version of the Bible, translation of the Bible. They, they, couldn't, they didn't have the full revelation of God. So in that day, if they were going to preach the gospel in that day, God was making sure that whatever's, whatever's going to be shared here in a little bit concerning the gospel and everything and the birthing of the church, God was going to make sure there was an authenticating sign as to what these people were saying in other languages. He gave an authenticating sign to those that were going to hear that maybe had never heard the gospel. Maybe, maybe they didn't even know who Jesus was. They didn't walk with him. They didn't talk with him. And so on this day, in that authenticating sign, God manifested the Spirit of God through the gift of tongues, of other languages. Languages that the person speaking it did not know it, but the ones they were speaking to, they were speaking their language. And, it, and you're going to see here in a little bit, it astonished those people. I mean, I only know one, one, one language that's called English, and I'm not very good at that, okay? Now, when I lived in Kentucky, they thought I had an accent. And I guess I do, because sometimes I say y'all and come on over here and everything. But trust me, in western Kentucky, they got an accent too. Because I say, look, there's a fire truck. And you know what they say, Brian? There's a fire truck. You know, they got an accent, a fire truck, you know, not a fire truck. But that's okay. I knew what they meant by that. Well, these people, these ones where the Spirit manifested the gift of another language, it was a language they did not know as they were speaking, but, they, but it was speaking what the hearers knew as their own original dialect. And God did that on purpose when all those people were there. So this Spirit, as it was manifested, it came when they were all united in one place, in one mind. That was the first thing that happened. They were all united. They had one mind. They had one purpose. They had one goal. And that was to wait for the promise to come that Jesus said would come to make the witnesses. He came as they were united. He came to them suddenly. In other words, they, they were... They were anticipating the Spirit empowering them, right? But they were definitely caught off guard because it suddenly came upon them. One of them didn't say, hey, stop praying. I think I feel something, right? They didn't have some emotional response. They were just praying, and the Spirit came. The Spirit came. He came as they were united. He came to them suddenly, and he came to them fully. There wasn't a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He came to them fully. And when he came with that fullness of power, he came to their gathering. 
He surprised them. And in that manifestation, it was audible and it was visible. Because it says, when he fell, when he suddenly came, they heard a rushing wind. And then there were flames of fire on their head. And they spoke with a language they didn't know to those around them who knew that language. So we see at the birth of the church, as, as the Spirit births God's church, the first thing we see is that the Spirit is manifesting. And did you know the Spirit doesn't do any different now? I mean, if you and I are witnesses, if you and I are giving a testimony, testifying of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we're trusting not only in salvation but just trusting God every day, uh, the, the best way for that to be effective, if you want to call it that effective, is to be filled with the Spirit, to be empowered to give that testimony. It may be as simple as a testimony of, and we've made mention on Wednesday nights, there may be some things going on in this world which we know are going on in this world, and, and, and you appear to be pretty calm around other people, and they may ask you, well, this and such stuff's going on over there. Doesn't that bother you? And you say, yeah, it bothers me. But I know who holds my future. I know who holds my hand. I know who's involved in the affairs of men and women. You give that testimony that you have some kind of peace that you can't understand and you can't explain. And that's a testimony to somebody along with just the testimony of how you got saved. So there's many ways to give a testimony. And these people in this case, though, were testifying of the gospel. We'll see here in a little bit. They're testifying of the works of God. Now, we don't know if they're just talking about the gospel, if they're also talking about creation, uh, talking about all, they're just going to talk, they're going to be speaking a language, testifying of the works of God. You know, that's what a testimony is, speaking of what you've seen and heard and know to be true about the works of God in your life, whether that's salvation or your everyday walk with God. But the Spirit is manifesting. God empowers a dependent people. That's what we see there in verse 1 through 4. As he empowers them suddenly, fully, and powerfully, and audibly, and visibly, he empowers them because they're a dependent people. Because they're in one accord, in one place, praying, waiting for that power to be a witness. God still empowers a dependent people. So many times in my ministry, especially early on, it would be real easy to, to preach in the flesh, to preach in the flesh. And what I mean by that is that's when I discovered what, what they call expository preaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, it keeps me out of the flesh. It keeps me from maybe having a run in with you last week and boy, I'm going to tell I'm going to hang their dirty laundry out dry. It keeps me out of the flesh. Number two, it's a good way to feed your flock so that as we're reading this scripture together, bringing it into context, you can go home and do it yourself. That way I don't become your guru to answer all your biblical questions because you can look it up yourself. So it's a good practice. Not only that, it's a historical practice that for centuries pastors have fed their flock that way. It is kind of a lost art in some of our Southern Baptist circles. It is what it is, but I'm telling you, this is how I do it. Now, I know there's Christmas. I know there's Easter. I know there's Mother's Day, Father's Day, Fourth of July, all that stuff. I get it, but even then, I've got a clump of scriptures, 
and I've got to expound. Uh, like I used to tell people in the nursing home because I'd be in the book of Psalms or something. I said, I promise you three things. We're going to have a text. We're going to stick with the text. And when we walk away, we walk away with an understanding of the text. So I'm going to stick to the text. So I'm not saying book study is the only way to do it. But you better be in the book. and You better be bringing in the context. Otherwise, you can make all kinds of things true that are not true. Or you could be confused yourself. Who knows? But the Spirit was manifesting, manifesting God's power to a dependent people. And God has not changed yet. If we're going to be witnesses, if we're going to give a testimony, we've got to be depending on God to empower us to tell the truth. And with that truth, we give information, and the Spirit of God can make it revelation and open their eyes to know the truth. Or even if you're speaking to a brother or sister who's, who's not thinking about those things that are pure thoughts, those things that are, that are worth thinking of, we may have to go to them and give them a testimony based off God's truth to, to pull them out of that mully grubs and the, and the melancholy that they may be going through or the tragedy they've gone through. Because listen, right up here is the battle, battlefield. And if we're not renewing our minds with the word of God, that's where Satan will attack you as a believer, right here. And I had a preacher say, stinking thinking, right? And if you're not renewing your mind with the word of God to, to, to discipline your mind that will buffet the flesh and listen to the spirit, then you're going to find yourself in, in different thinking patterns that are not healthy. But if you'll depend on God and, and seek God in his word, he'll empower a dependent people. The second thing we see is in verse 5 through 13. The Spirit is not only manifesting, but the Spirit is marveling. The Spirit is marveling. Not that the Spirit's doing it, but because of what the Spirit did, there's marveling. Look at verse 5 through 13. And, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem, in other words, they were there, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now you can see right there, Right now, as they share the gospel, they're going to share the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the world. They're going to fulfill that scripture. And, of course, we continue that as our world gets more accessible. Verse 6, and when this sound occurred, that is this great rushing, rushing wind, and these people speaking in another language, the multitude came together. Those people that were there in Jerusalem, they kind of gathered together to, to that, that sound and those, those languages going on. And it says, and they were confused because everyone heard them, that is those who were speaking in tongues, heard them speak in his, that is that person's own language. Then, this is why they were confused because it says, then they were amazed and marveled saying to one another, look. Are not all these who speak Galileans? In other words, that's the only language they should know. They shouldn't know mine here in Egypt or somewhere else. They shouldn't know mine. Don't they just speak Galilean? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, our own birth dialect? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. You never want me to do Old Testament names either. Egypt 
and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, in other words, those that were Gentiles that converted over to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? And others, that is, there were others there, probably from Jerusalem, and they weren't speaking their language. They were hearing these guys gibber Egypt over there and in other languages. And these are the mockers. The mockers said, probably the Pharisees and Sadducees, they are full of new wine. In other words, they're just drunk. That the mockers said, oh, they're drunk. Everybody else was amazed. They're, they're still getting confused, but they're like, I'm hearing my own language. I know, I know what I'm hearing. And the mockers. So the spirit was marveling. He came in a he came to a diverse crowd, and he, and he empowered those speaking a language in diverse languages. And as they spoke these diverse languages, these languages that were diverse as the crowd was there, whether they were Jew or proselytes, he, he marveled the inquisitive crowd because they began to say, what is this all about? I'm hearing it in my own language. These are Galileans. They shouldn't know my language from over here where I'm from. And I've come here to go the, to the day of Pentecost to celebrate because I'm a, I'm a Jewish believer. I'm a Gentile Jewish converted believer. And I'm a, I, I should, what is this all about? But then he also came, as he came to a diverse crowd, an inquisitive crowd, he also came to a mocking crowd because some of them said, ah, they're just drunk with wine. And you know, the gospel is no different today. When the gospel is preached plainly and clearly, there will always be somebody that has inquiry. What's this all about? What do you mean by Jesus down on the cross of my sins? That's why a long time ago, before it was invitation time or a hymn of, hymn of invitation time, they called it the time of inquiry. And at the end of the sermon, Charles Hatton Spurgeon would say, at the end of that sermon, while maybe... 10% of his congregation was down there in the basement praying in the boiler. He would say, if you have a question about Christ, you need Christ, you can meet me Monday morning in my office. You can inquire of it. And Monday morning, that office was full of people because he was preaching a clear gospel. And that clear gospel stirred the hearts of those that would inquire of this gospel. But at the same time, I'm sure there were people in that day that heard what he had to say clearly. And they just mocked it. They rejected it. They didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't come for an inquiry. But when the Spirit was manifested, he came to a people that were dependent on God. And when the Spirit was marveling, it was marveling as God communicated to a varied people. Some were hearing a clear gospel. Others were mocking whatever was going on. In verse 14 through 21, the Spirit is not only manifesting, marveling, but the Spirit is explaining, is explaining. Look at verse 14 through 21. But Peter, when these people said, what could this mean? We're hearing our own language. And others said, no, they're just drunk. But Peter standing up with the 11. So the 11 stood up with Peter. Stood up with Peter. And he raised his voice and said to the men 
of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk. In other words, they're not drunk like these mockers say. As you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. In other words, it's a certain time of the day that people would not normally be tipping a little bit too much anyways. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Once again, Peter is inspired to what? Relate what's going on to Scripture. He begins to establish the idea of a biblical worldview. You, you see something going on in your world, your life, uh, your situation, and, and you ought to be thinking of Scripture. How, how do I address this? What is this telling me about me? What does this say about God? And he says, this, was, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In other words, what you're seeing and what you're hearing going on and all those noises, the prophet Joel spoke of it. Verse 17. This is what Joel said. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What does it mean, all flesh? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will see dreams, will dream dreams. And my maidservants and, and on my maid, manservants and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. Notice they'll speak the message of God. That's what it means to prophesy, speak the message of God. I shall show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Remember the, the cloven tongues and the, and the fire and the rushing wind? Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says, look, by the power of the Spirit, let me explain to you what's going on here. He says, this Spirit came, came, to, use, came to use all kinds of, of witnesses, all kinds of witnesses in the sense that this is what Joel promised, whether they're young, old, male, female, men servants, man servants, he's going to come, he's going to come on all kinds of witnesses, not just apostles, on all of us who are believers, all of us who trust. He said it's going to come on all kinds of people, men, women, boys, girls, young and old. It's going to come upon all of them. He said, that's the first thing you need to know. That's what's happening. All these people, men, women, young, old, maidservants, men servants, they're doing this because God promised that through a varied uh, expanse, all kinds of people, this witness was going to happen. And it was going to happen with, a, with, a, with an array of all kinds of signs, like the mighty rushing wind sound, the flames on the, on the head, and, of course, them speaking a language they obviously don't know and you're hearing in your own language. It's going to come through all kinds of witnesses, all kinds of signs, and it will come to call sinners to be saved. That's what he said. He explains the Spirit explains what's going on. He manifests. He marvels some people. Even in their mocking, they marvel 
and mock it. And then he explains by the Spirit of God what's going on. God empowers a dependent people. God communicates uh, to varied people. And now God proclaims one standard of righteousness. He says, if you call on me, you'll be saved. They're already giving the beginnings or unfolding here in a moment the details of that gospel. But that's basically the gospel. Whoever calls on the Lord will be saved. That is the gospel herald. That is the gospel truth. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But here in a moment, he's going to give more detail by the Spirit of God and evangelize them and give them more detail. Saved from what? Saved by who? Because look at verse 22 through 28. The Spirit not only explains, but the Spirit is evangelizing through Peter's preaching. Look at verse 22 through 28. Men of Israel, hear these words. He's already told them, whoever calls them the Lord shall be saved, right? He said, that's why it's being manifested. This is what's happening. Joel said it would happen. This is what's going on. Now he's going to give them some detail. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, and you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, he was delivered to death by God's will, by God's foreknowledge, by God's design. And you have taken by lawless hands, that was by God's design, and have crucified and put him to death, whom God also by design raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning this Christ, I foreknew the Lord, I foreknew the Lord always before his face, or I foresaw the Lord always before his face, for he is at the, my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also were rest and hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades or in the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One, one to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. The Spirit manifesting, the Spirit is marveling, the Spirit is explaining a, a basic gospel that you must call upon him to be saved. And now the Spirit, through Peter's preaching, is evangelizing. He's saying, look, we told you, you've got to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. What's that all about? Well, Jesus came by design to die for your sins. And by design, he rose again, overcoming death, hell, and the grave. And by design... He is the one that God chose, as David prophesied, to be the one who will not be corrupted, who will be the Redeemer, who will be sitting on David's eternal throne because he's the Messiah. The Spirit is evangelizing. The Spirit is explaining. The Spirit is marveling. The Spirit is manifesting. Why? Because God has one message of redemption, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Earlier, Peter said, you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And that's true. That's, that's Romans 10, what was it, 10, uh, 10, 13. Whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
But Peter's giving more detail to these people that are witnessing these languages being spoke, this gospel being preached, these, this gift, this manifestation that authenticates their message is being manifested. He explains and he evangelizes. And as he evangelizes and as he explains, verse 29 through 39, the Spirit is convincing. The Spirit is convincing. P- Peter is not convincing. Peter's already convinced, and he's just speaking of what he's convinced of. And because he's convinced of and confident of, the Spirit of God can move in the hearts of lost sinners and convince them and convert them. Look at verse 29 through 39. The Spirit is convincing. Men and brethren, he's speaking confident. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you on the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. In other words, if, if you're waiting on David, if you think you're important to go through David, he says, he's dead, he's buried, but this Jesus is alive who sits on his eternal throne. If you're, if you're trusted in that patriarch, you're, you, ain't, you ain't calling them the Lord. You ain't going to be saved. Therefore, he says, being a prophet, that is David, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body... According to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, an eternal throne. In other words, through David came this one, and we learned that around Christmas time. He, foreseeing this, that is David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in Hades. That's what He says that's what David was talking about back there. Then Jesus, God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. In other words, you be on the throne, Messiah, not David till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is King, and he is Messiah. Even, he says, even our patriarch David believes that and and preached that and prophesied that. Now, when they heard this, look how the Spirit's convincing. But he used the Word of God being convinced. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were moved by the Spirit of God. God tugged on their hearts. God awakened their spirits. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? No just as I am, no piano, no flute, No, come on down the Saltus Trail. They were just preaching a clear gospel, explaining what was going on, evangelizing in detail what it was all about, and the Spirit of God quicked their hearts, and they said, excuse me, uh, Peter, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what must we do? We're convinced. What shall we do? Look what Peter says. Then Peter said to them, repent, turn, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal of sin. And, sh- and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he'll indwell you too. 
and you can be witnesses. For the promise is to you and your children that, that get saved, right? And to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call unto salvation. So the Spirit is convincing. God, God's call is clear, and God's call, when it is, when it is, when it is calling the inward man, it is effective. Uh, some people call it that irresistible grace. I call it an effectual call. It has an effect. And when God calls, see, we give an external call. Come to Christ. He's the truth, the way, and the life. He's the only way. He's the one that you call upon to be saved. We give an external call, and through that simple foolishness of preaching, the Spirit of God stirs the heart and, and internally draws you to come to Christ. He opens your eyes, and you simply respond to the very life that God regenerates in your heart, and you get saved. It's not because I'm convincing. It's because I'm preaching convinced. It's because we're sharing something that we're confident in. It's something that we're assured of. It's something that we know, that we know, that we know. And as we share those things, the Spirit of God can use that to awaken someone else to finally know. Know where they are without Christ, to know where they can be with Christ. God's call is clear, and God's call is effective because David was promised an eternal throne. He says, you know all about that, and this Jesus is that one. And as he preached that simple expounding of scriptural truths about the Messiah and the gospel, people were moved. They were cut to the heart. And they said, what must we do? It was effective. And last but not least, not only was the Spirit convincing, but the Spirit is transforming. Because on this day, 3,000 people are going to get saved that are saying, excuse me, what must we do? 3,000 at one time. Talk about an altar call, right? And they didn't even have an altar call. They were just preaching the gospel, and they had an altar response, if you want to call it that. But look how the Spirit is transforming. The church is, at this time, birthed. You'll see that in a minute. They're birthed, and from that birth, they don't just stay there in their infancy state. They begin to grow. They begin to get transformed. They begin to continually change or reform what they're doing. Look at verse 40 through 47. The Spirit is transforming in this birth. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In other words, they followed through after they believed. They followed through in obeying. I'm going to be baptized in Jesus because now I believe in Jesus. They were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That is, to the original numbers where they were witnessing. And they continued, it's a key word, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles to what? To authenticate the message, to authenticate what just happened, to help these people be encouraged and grow in their faith because they didn't have the full revelation of God. They needed something out, uh, by the Spirit of God to be manifested, to, to keep them convinced, keep them assured. They couldn't just say, well, let's just read Acts chapter 2 and we know all about it. They didn't have that. They were living it out. 
Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed, that is that 3,000, were together. They were together and they had all things in common. That's not communism. That means they had everything in common. In other words, what's mine? <coughs> if you have a need of it, I want to make sure you get it. They had everything in common. In other words, what was mine is yours in the sense of if you have a need, we take care of one another. It was common. And they sold their possessions, they gave goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. They, they, they didn't just have some socialistic, even everybody gets their fair share. It's just that they had stuff, and whatever you had of that was needed to somebody, you made sure they got it. So continuing daily with one accord, once again, one mind in the temple, they were worshiping together. And breaking bread, once again, another reference, as it said earlier, just of, of taking the Lord's Supper, breaking bed, bread, but also probably just fellowshipping from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church from there, to the church daily, those who were being saved. The Spirit is transforming. He, he, he manifests. He marvels those that are inquisitive. He marvels those who are mocking. Peter stands up to explain really what's going on. They're not drunk. This is what's going on. It was prophesied in the Bible. God, This is God, part of God's plan. Then he gives more detail and evangelizes that idea of calling on the Lord. Some by that preaching were convinced because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. God's call was clear and effective, and because it was clear and effective, and they, and they not only came to know Christ, but they followed in baptism and, and continued to break bread together, began to take the Lord's Supper and, and in the Apostles' Doctrine, it began to transform individuals. And therefore, that's the whole idea of the series of our message, the birth and development of the church. That's the whole series here in the book of Acts. They begin to develop patterns, practices, uh, ways of preaching. If you notice, when Peter is preaching, he doesn't just quote one verse and say, and this is what it means. He takes a clump of scriptures, probably from the book of Psalms, or maybe a reference to First or Second Samuel. He takes a clump of scriptures and he exegetes the text. He expounds on what God has said in that clump of scripture, puts it into context. Well, it's no different. God empowers a dependable people. God communicates through varied avenues. God proclaims a standard of one redemption, only one message. God is clear and God is effective. God's salvation, the bottom line is, changes the believer continually. You know, a lot of us champion the idea of the Reformation, where the church had to reform, the church had to change what they were teaching. And some of us might think, well, if I know all the Reformed theology I need to know, then I'm, I'm done. No, you're just going to continue to reform. Continue that once you've repented of your sin and turned to Christ, once you've turned your back on sin and followed Christ, you're, you and I are going to live a daily life of repentance, a, a daily life of repenting, constantly changing, reforming who we are to become more like Christ. And God's salvation in this text proves 
that every believer that was originally born again at that day and those later, they were continually changing, continually growing in their faith, continually growing in their witness. The Spirit births God's church at an appropriate place and time with great power, with great persuasion that can only give God the glory. So many times it would be real easy to stand up here and do something crafty, do something um, that seems cutting edge. But listen, I give a very dry invitation and I admit it, but it's pretty clear what the invitation is. If you're here today and you're lost, you need to call to the Lord. You need to come to Jesus because he's the only way. And if the Spirit of God can't use that, then that's my bad. Because that's all Peter did. He said, he's the one. You must come to him. Unless you come to him, you're a perverse generation. You won't have eternal life. So this is the appeal or the invitation to the believer. This is to the believer. When God moves with his power, as we've seen in the book of Acts, when God moves with his power, God chooses the time and God chooses the place. God chooses the gift and God chooses the people he wants to use. God chooses the message. In other words, he defines what the gospel is and he chooses the response. Whether someone wants to say, excuse me, what must I do and inquire of it? Or they just say, I don't want any part of that. He allows all that. God's in control of that. What are we in control of? Well, we are a people, when God moves in his power, we should be a people that pursue the unity as one body that we want to be a witness for the glory of God. We should be a people that are praying for the power to fall to be witnesses. We should be a people that when the Spirit falls, we simply proclaim a simple message and allow God to convince, convict, and convert because I can't make them do it. That's just the Bible way. The church is to anticipate God's power as they did. We will be surprised because when God does, it'll be when we least expect it. But the church must anticipate God's power. The church must simply proclaim God's gospel. And the audience and the hearers, they'll either find meaning in what we say and inquire of it, or they'll find offense by it and push it away. That's God's business. That's their business. Our business is to preach a clear gospel, anticipating God to take his word and not return to him void, to fulfill its, his purpose, not ours. What does this mean as a, a, to a non-believer? A non-believer is someone that, that Peter says, they haven't called on the name of the Lord to be saved. They haven't come to Jesus. They just believe this is a bunch of nonsense, or they, maybe they mock, or they just ignore it. That's a non-believer. Well, as a non-believer, I want you to know something, that there are people in this building right now that I know for a fact, I've talked to them long enough, I've connected with them long enough, that I know that they know they were once lost and now they're saved through Jesus Christ. And what you need to know as a, as a non-believer, as you, as you look, look at us in this room, whether it be through the camera or whatever, you need to know that these people are witnesses just with me, like me. They are witnesses to this. They would say with me these basic words, 
Our testimony has maybe different details, but this is the basics of everyone that's a believer in this room, and every lost person needs to hear this because this is our testimony to a lost world. We would look them in the face with compassion and say, I once was lost in my sin and guilt. But there came a time where God revealed Jesus Christ and I turned to him. I turned my back on the direction I was going. I repented and placed my faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. And when I did that, it was there that that I surrendered my sin to be placed upon him so that he could deposit on me and proclaim me righteous. That's what we would tell a lost and dying world, wouldn't we? And that that's the only way to be right before God is to come to Christ as a sinner, leave your sins to the cross to die on Jesus so he can place upon you his righteousness. That's the only person to go to. So we would testify to a lost and dying world, anybody that's a non-believer, anyone who has never come to know Christ. That's how you get saved. That's why you need to be saved. Because you're lost in sin, and that sin has caused you to be guilty, and you will be punished for your sin. Not because I say, but because God said. But Jesus took that punishment so that you could receive his righteousness. So we would invite, we would appeal a non-believer to please come to Christ today. We would appeal to you to know that he is the only way. He is the only one. And all it is is what Romans 10, 13 says. Whoever calls or cries out to the name of the Lord, and that's Jesus Christ, will be saved. And that's what we would ask a non-believer to do. Just cry out to him now. So as the ladies and kin come forward for the music of invitation... As they play a few little instruments, I want to pray for the believer, pray for the non-believer, and then we'll have our invitation. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, there are believers in this room, I know for a fact, because I've been with them, I've heard their testimony. There's been evidence that they know you, Father, by your grace. Father, encourage the church. Encourage your people to know that no matter where we're walking in life or where we don't think we have the skills and everything, you can gift us at any time to be your witness. Empower us, Father, to be witnesses. Father, there could perhaps be someone here in the room or through our uh, camera that does not know you, Father. We do pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would convince them, draw them, effectually draw them to you, And they would cry out to Jesus for their salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number...